Good morning, church. Man, what an awesome morning it's been so far. Amen? God's, God's working, isn't he? He's doing something special among us, and I'm, uh, I'm thankful for what he's doing. I wanted to, before, before uh, we do a couple other things, I wanted to just challenge you. Uh, I feel led right now just to pray for people in our lives that don't know the Lord, and um, that's what I feel led to pray for before we do anything else. And um, I think that, that that question, Pastor Paul didn't ask that in second service, but who are you inviting to come and see Jesus this Easter is an important question. I'm, I'm the byproduct of an invitation, uh, the invitation before the invitation. Uh, I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't have been able to receive an invitation to know Jesus if someone else had an extended invitation for me to get into a place where I could hear about Jesus and, and experience him. And um, man, every time I get into a, uh, an Uber or any kind of a, any kind of place where someone's giving me a ride somewhere, God always has a divine appointment for me. And um, I was getting a ride to the airport a couple uh, weeks ago, and I was uh, riding with a, with a gentleman, and I noticed that there was some kind of little figurine that I could tell was from, I think it was from the Hindu faith is what I was figuring. So I started talking to him about what he believes. And he just moved to the country a couple months earlier and lives not far from here. And I just started talking about who I am and what I'm doing, and him and his family are going to be in church next Sunday. Uh, I'm believing God to, 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 to work through that. And uh, I want you to know, um, I believe in that. I just believe that we have to invite people to know Jesus, and I just, I'm burdened for that right now, for more people to come to know him. And so would you bow your heads with me, and let's just pray. Um, there are people in your, own, in your own heart, in your own life, that don't know the Lord yet. And I want you just to begin to plead for the Lord to just come and become real to them and to reveal himself in their hearts and in their lives. Lord Jesus, we come to you today as your children, Lord God, as your sons and as your daughters, Lord. And uh, Lord, we love you so much. And we love that you have uh, saved us and you've changed us, Lord God. And I pray that if there's someone within the sound of my voice today, Lord God, you've not yet, um, Lord God, done that for them, that they wouldn't leave here today, Lord God, without making you Lord and Savior of their lives. Lord, I pray your word to become alive to them and help them see. Lord, help us today. Lord, there are people in our lives, people that you've put right in front of us, Lord God. Give us the boldness to begin those conversations, Lord God, to love people and see people as you see them and to extend invitations for them to come and see you. So, Lord God, we pray for them by name right now, Lord. And churches begin to pray for them by name right now, right where you're seated, Lord God. We ask you just to reveal yourself to them, Lord, in the days and the weeks to come and that, Lord God, even by the time of this Easter, Lord God, when we celebrate the resurrection, would they be counted among those who have seen Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives? Lord, we pray for them now, and we ask you, Lord, to do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Uh, we got to continue to pray and uh, believe God to do great things. Amen. Well, we got some good things in store for you today, and I'm just thankful for what's uh, happening today in our services, but also right after our services. We have a special lunch uh, that you don't want to miss out on. We only have a few spots left, but we'll even open it up to standing room if we need to. It's a way to go deeper in the series that we've been in, Fulfilled. I hope that you've been making the most of this experience. We still have a few booklets left, if you haven't, for you to go in and, and look at the prophecies concerning Jesus. But we have a special guest with us this morning in our service, and he's actually our speaker for our lunch today is Rabbi uh, Felix Halpern, and he is called to equip people to reach Jewish people for Jesus. And I want to just invite him to come right now to greet you uh, in the Lord and, uh, and also to pray for our service. You know that, uh, Shalom, by the way, uh, that song, uh, I think we did that at the first service, uh, how worthy, worthy of it all. And the Lord had me saying, Lord, how many breaths do I take in the course of my life? 
How many beats does my heart take? Uh, how many steps will I take? And I said, Lord, you're worthy of them all. He's worthy of everything, isn't he? The sum total of our life. I mentioned in the first service, and first of all, thank you for allowing us to be here and playing a part in this unique season that you're in, uh, a Kairos window. I usually say Kairos moment, but I like a window because I feel it's a window and a moment's too brief. A window is, is opened, and I'm here with my wife, Bonnie. Just, you just raise your hand, please. Thank you very much. I won't ask her to stand, but just raise your hand. And uh, we have Joe and Marcy Kenny. I do believe they worship here. They're on our team. Uh, but it is a joy to be here, and I feel the warmth again, Pastor. And this is a scripture that I want to declare. It's a unique passage from Psalm uh, 122, which we're all familiar with, and you just came back from Jerusalem. Uh, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compacted together. My declaration and I prayer is what I felt is let evangel be a city that's built together, that's compacted tight together with a sense of unity. When people come in, it will be the worship will just go up. But like a city compacted together, it speaks of unity. Uh, today I speak on Matthew 12, um, so I'd love for you to come and hear Matthew chapter 12. It was the turning point of Yeshua, Jesus' life. Um, he made a strategic change in his ministry, and there we learn why he was rejected and why the entire generation of Jewish people of that day was condemned to eternal darkness, the entire generation. There was no return for them. Uh, so I want to bring that forth, and I encourage you uh, to be there. And there's another reason, you know, uh, I'm the only Messianic rabbi, or maybe rabbi, that wears cowboy boots. Now, I'm not going to tell you why I wear boots, but I will say to you, I've been married for 42 years. Now, how many want to get to 42 years? Seriously, that's it? Oh, my goodness. You need more help. If you want to get to 42 years, I'm going to tell you the story of the boots in the, in the room. So you'll hear about Matthew, and you'll hear my testimony about my boots. That brought me to 42 years. Okay, I'm going to pray for my brother. Abba, Father, we thank you, O Lord, for your goodness and your mercy and the Ruach HaKodesh upon my brother. Yavarecha Adonai. Yavarecha Adonai, O Lord. You are eternal. Baruch atah atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, hasher latan ladnu, advarachai b'mashiach Yeshua. You grant blessings, O Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who gives us the living word in Yeshua HaMashiach. And we ask your blessing on your word. In Hashem Yeshua we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. That was a blessing. Thank you. I'm excited for what God's going to speak to us today. This word has been burning in my heart for, a, for about a month now. And I uh, want to give you a little bit of backstory as you uh, turn with me in the scriptures. If you'll open up with me, we're, um, we're going to be in a couple places today. I'd encourage you, uh, like every week, to take notes. If you have your book uh, with you, uh, pull that out. There's a note section there, if not right on the back of your um, bulletin that you received, but you want to take down some of these verses and meditate on them during the week. Uh, many of them are in some of the devotionals that we have put together inside of our fulfilled book, but we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter eight, uh, 1, 
And then um, also want you to uh, take note of, um, among the many other scriptures we're going to talk about today, Isaiah chapter 53. That's where we're going to spend uh, some time as well. Um, I told you about this individual that I had the chance to speak with that was my, uh, my Uber driver uh, a couple weeks ago, and I, I was talking to him about the Lord. Um, but each time I'm in a, in, in a mode of transportation like that, I feel like the Lord's stirring me to have a conversation. And the most unique place that that happened was while I was in Israel. Uh, just last month, we had a free day, which we normally have on each of our trips that we go when we go to Israel, where you're allowed to go kind of on your own, and you can go and do some shopping or some more sightseeing or go and revisit some of the places you had been before. And I uh, spent the morning with me and Pastor Rick and, uh, and Josh Chomick, uh, who was on the team. We were up on the Mount of Olives, which we're going to be talking about today. And from that place uh, where we filmed some video and did a few other things, I then uh, went into the old city and then I got into a taxi to go and meet some friends that live uh, in that area that I had connected with a few years ago. So on my way there, I'm in this taxi and I'm having a conversation with the driver. And I soon learned that he's Muslim. He's a Muslim man. And I had just gotten married and I was talking to him about life and about, uh, you know, why he's doing what he's doing and then what brought me over to Israel. And I told him about I'm a pastor. And I asked him the question then during our trip. I said, so what do you think about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? And he said, Jesus is a great man. Jesus is a, did you know Jesus was written about in the Quran? I said, yes, I know uh, the Quran talks about Jesus. Well, he's a great man. He's a prophet. He went a little longer and he said, but Christians have it all wrong. I said, oh, he said, they think he's God. I said, yeah. He said, he can't be God. I said, well, why, why do you think that? He said, look, it's simple. God, God is powerful. God is a God who can do anything. God is a God who causes people to suffer or prosper. And you think Jesus is God, but Jesus died on a cross. Your Bible says that. And Jesus suffered and he, and he was humiliated. And, and God isn't a God who suffers. God doesn't suffer. God doesn't get killed. God doesn't, no one can destroy him. No one can hurt him in that way. God is all powerful and therefore Jesus cannot be God. And I said, well, and I tried to start talking about scripture, but I could see in that moment, there's this veil over his eyes. Like, what is that? So I left that interaction with him. I said, well, I'm going to pray for you that the Lord would reveal himself. And I know the Lord has done that. Jesus has revealed himself to many Muslim people where they have begin to have dreams about him. And then they come to faith in Christ and the Lord uses them so powerfully. And so I've been continuing to pray for him. But I have not been able to forget about that conversation, church. It led me on a journey that brought me to this word today. Because when we get to this theme that we're going to be talking about, of all the prophecies, we've already explored that Jesus is God with us, that he's God, that he is the Messiah in the line of David, that is the anointed one of God that can bring freedom and, and heal sickness and deliver people in all these different ways. And now we see that Jesus is the suffering servant that God promised would come to redeem the people and it would be through suffering. But this question has just sat in my spirit that it's been the kind of subject of why I've explored and what I've been exploring to lead us to this moment in time. And the question is simply this, why did Jesus have to suffer like that? Now, I understand why he had to die for our sins and how he paid the price and he was the atoning sacrifice so that you and I could be forgiven. I understand that. I see it. But a cross? 
the public humiliation, to go through all of that and to endure all of that. Lord, why all the suffering? God, why all the suffering for your son? That's the question we're going to get at today. And when I, when I look at this, I want to draw your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, because I see God's word come to life as we look at the scriptures. And as I had that conversation with that Muslim man sitting in a taxi, I saw the word of God come to life. Because here's what God's word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's what took me back was the, the response I got when I talked about Jesus. It was like, that's foolishness. The cross is foolishness. How could God suffer? How could God die? Look what it says as you go on a couple other verses down in, in verses 22 through 24. It says this, the Jews demand signs. And the Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, Jesus suffering and dying on the cross, a stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness for the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. This is who he is. But you can see, even in our world today, even in our lives today, people could look at this. When you actually think about it, how could God suffer? How could God be humiliated? How could God be crucified on a cross? It doesn't make sense to many. To some, it's foolishness. To others, it's a stumbling block. They can't get past that. That's what we're going to be exploring some more today. When you think about all that Jesus endured, when you think about everything that he carried to the cross, not just his death, giving up his life, but the way in which he gave up his life, the way in which he was persecuted, the way in which he had uh, been rejected and he was even betrayed by those closest to him, the way he was mocked and humiliated. Can I see a show of hands? How many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ? Can you remember the responses that came up within your heart as you watched that? When you saw everything that he went through, when you saw, I mean, it was such a vivid portrayal. Sometimes we, we read it in black and white and it doesn't come to life. But when you're there in full color, in the same way that when you're there in Israel, things kind of come to life when you see it right in front of you. And you saw everything that he went through. You saw the humiliation. Didn't your heart beat out of your chest? I was a, a newer believer at that time. And I could just remember just weeping over everything that Jesus went through before he even died on the cross. Think about that. I think about this prophecy. It's one of the ones that we, we are connecting with as we're going through this series. And it's in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14. This is what God said would happen ultimately to Jesus. It says this, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form was marred beyond human likeness. Jesus was beaten, they would say, with a cat of nine tails, which was a, a way of whipping, and then he was flogged, and he was stripped down. There was a crown of thorns that was fashioned and placed on his head. Those thorns would have dug into his flesh, Jesus was mocked and, and, and he was hurled insults at him. They spat upon him. I mean, this was the suffering of Jesus. Goes on to say in Psalm 22, there's this prophetic psalm that, that rises to the surface and there are these four verses that I want to draw your attention to in Psalm 22, starting in verse 14. 
Here's what it says, and this is a suffering servant who's, who's undergoing this, and this is ultimately seen as a prophecy concerning Jesus, and you'll see why. It says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has been turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth has dried like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Do you see all these things happening in the, in the, the last time of Jesus' life? In his suffering, these prophecies are being fulfilled on vivid display. I have to ask this question of the Lord in my own time of prayers. Lord, you're the author of scripture, the author of life. Couldn't you have, couldn't you have made it a different way? Couldn't it have been lessened? Couldn't his suffering have been less intense in some way, Lord? I mean, I, I would even go and I've seen others that have asked if, if it was just about Jesus dying for our sins, couldn't he have been quickly assassinated? Couldn't there have been a less humiliating, a less drawn out way for him to go through and endure all of that? I don't know if you've ever asked that question of yourself or ever been a part of a conversation like that. Wasn't there another way, Lord? Well, we see all the way from the beginning, this was a part of God's plan. As we see in the Garden of Eden, whenever sin had ultimately entered into the picture, when man had chosen not to obey God, but to turn from his way in relationship with him, uh, we see that there is judgment as a result of that. And we see that the world as they know it is now different. And because of that, we see God says some specific things and pronounces some specific judgment. And part of that judgment is against the one who ultimately deceived and led them astray. And it was the serpent in the garden. Ultimately, it's the enemy of your soul, Satan, the devil, who, who has really prowling around like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. And we see that in the beginning, ultimately, the divide that comes between God and man is perpetrated in such a way to cause, to cause sin to enter into the picture. And when God is pronouncing judgment on the serpent, he speaks, and this is a prophecy that comes all the way down and is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, here's what the Lord says. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to the serpent. And between your offspring and hers, and it says, but he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So we see this here that ultimately you are going to be defeated. He, who is he that's coming? Jesus will crush your head. The enemy's been defeated. We sang about the victory today. Amen, church? We have the end of the book. He wins. We have victory because of everything that Jesus done. He will crush your head but you will strike his heel. There's a striking that's promised. There's a suffering that's promised. I was close to a snake bite. I never got bit by a snake. I got as close as I'm ever going to be and I'm never going to be that close again. Uh, and, and we'll go into that story some other time. I think I've told it to you before. Uh, but that's, that's as, as close as I'd want to be. But I want you to know Jesus, from the beginning, God said that this one who would crush the head of the serpent would ultimately also suffer. His heel would be struck. And then we see all of this progressive revelation about who God would send and how he would suffer and how he would die. And ultimately, Jesus fulfilled all of these promises. And as he was walking through his earthly ministry, as he gets closer and closer to the cross, we begin to see something change in his disposition. 
I know that for some of you, you know that you can kind of compartmentalize your life and you can go through all the exciting times and all the great things, but there's something kind of weighing. You know there's this difficult thing that you're coming up against. You know that there's something waiting on the horizon. Jesus walked through his ministry ultimately knowing that Calvary was waiting for him. I want you to know it did not surprise Jesus one bit that he would die on the cross. You know why? He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. He said, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus walked through his earthly ministry, realizing what was ahead of him. And when the hour had come, he sat with his disciples, he ate a meal with them, and then he went to the Mount of Olives. On that day that I had that conversation with that Muslim man, I was on the Mount of Olives. I was in the very place that we're going to be talking about as we explore a few passages moving forward in God's word. It was there on the Mount of Olives that Jesus was with his disciples and he wanted to get away and pray because he knew everything that was awaiting him. I want you to know when you know that there are great challenges on the horizon, what do you do? Do you sit and worry about them? Do you get anxious? Do you self-medicate in some way? Or do you go to the place of prayer? Because I want you to know that's where Jesus goes. Whenever he sees everything that's in front of him, he retreats to the place of prayer to be with the Father. It's so vitally important. We're going to see why in a few moments. We see that Jesus would continue to go to those places of prayer. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 7, this is a passage of scripture that I had memorized when I was younger in my faith, but it's never come alive any more than has over the last month of me kind of exploring this topic. Here's what it says in verse 7. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Never asked this question before, but what is the author of Hebrews talking about? What moment in Jesus' ministry is this referring to? Jesus prayed a lot, and we actually see these different times when he'd rise before the day and he'd pray. And he'd, but there is one time of prayer when you look at Hebrews 5-7 and you look at that passage, you begin to see this is describing a moment that we actually know about in the Gospels. It says, when he was here on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. When we come to this moment in scripture, it's right there on the Mount of Olives that Jesus retreats to pray. And as he's there, he prays three times. Remember that, write that down. He prays three times. And as he's praying, he's crying out to God. As he's praying, the scripture says it like this in Luke chapter 22, verses 41 through 44. It says, Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. And he knelt and he prayed, Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, your will be done. He says, if there's any way, Father, for this to go the other way, allow it to be so. Man, I think so many of us were so good at praying the first half of that prayer, aren't we? Lord, if there's any way you could take this away from me right now, if there's any way you could relieve what I'm feeling right now, the pressure, if there's any way to, re uh, to relieve the suffering that I'm going through, the, the challenge and the trial that I'm faced with, Lord. And yet I don't think we're always very willing to submit in the second half, just as Jesus did. Yet not my will be done. Yours be done. It's in this time that Jesus is in a, in a garden. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. 
And it's a place where all the olives uh, were. And the Bible says he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want to show you a picture of that garden. And we, this is from Israel when we were there. And this is right on the Mount of Olives. You'll see olive trees all over there. But there's a garden. There's a bunch of them, a concentration of them. This literally translated means the olive press or the place of pressing. While we were in Israel and in Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, we were able to understand a bit more about how olives turn into olive oil. Olive oil is something that's beautiful and something that we love and we all have much use for it. And especially if you like to cook, you enjoy olive oil. It had so many uses in their day and age as well. And this is how an olive became olive oil. This right here is a millstone. And that millstone, similar to what Jesus said, if, it, if you cause a little one to stumble, tie a millstone. The one that we saw in Nazareth was 1,600 pounds. And then what you see inside of there is it's a track that it runs on. And they either have a mule or some kind of animal or a person could just pick it up and walk in circles. And they'd throw all the olives on the bottom there and they'd be crushed by 1,600 or more pounds of pressure. And as it was happening, they're just being crushed. And as they're being crushed, uh, there's everything that's inside is beginning to be released. And so what they would do is they'd take that, they'd scoop it all out of there when it's been crushed, they'd put it in baskets, they'd set the baskets then on the actual olive press, which was basically a similar to that, that wooden beam that would be laid across and hanging from it would be hundreds of pounds of stone weight. And they would be hanging there to be on a lever and pulley system where they would apply different amounts of pressure to those baskets to let the olive oil be released. Well, the first pressing was a pressing that was just after the crushing. You didn't even apply any weight to it. You just laid the baskets there and you let whatever it is seep out. And underneath there was a, a kind of container to collect it in. And they would take that away. It hadn't had any pressure applied to it, but it's just from the crushing. And what's there is the purest olive oil. That's the extra virgin olive oil. That's what's used to anoint kings and priests. That's what's used, and many of you would see the extra virgin olive oil. That's the purest and best. Let's take it away. And then it's time for the second pressing. The second pressing would come out, and that'd be your regular olive oil. This would be for consumption, and they had other reasons to use it as well in their day, but this would just be your olive oil that you, that you buy in a store. Then they had the third pressing. In, that, in the second pressing, they'd actually begin to apply the weights whatever amount of weight they deem necessary. The third one, they'd apply all the weight and they'd press down to get every bit out. And it's there that there's pulp and there's all kinds of other stuff. So you wouldn't eat this olive oil, but it had purpose as well. I want you to know there's purpose in every pressing, right? Uh, and that purpose is that it would be used to light the, the lamps and they'd pour that oil in there. And that olive oil would last multiple times, three, four, five times longer than if it was the regular olive oil or if it was the extra virgin olive oil, that would burn up quickly. It's that olive oil that you would think there's pulp and it has no purpose. That What's the purpose of that pressing? It's what gives light to every home. It's what gives light to the people. It's what It has purpose even in that third pressing. So this is where Jesus is, and this is where he's praying in the place of pressing or in the olive press. Jesus is praying. And it says in there, and I want you to look at verse 44. It says that as he was praying, from his anguish he prayed earnestly, and his sweats were like drops of blood falling to the ground. In the midst of the earnest prayer, in the midst of him pressing in, it says in that place of pressing as Jesus prayed, 
what's coming out of him. Why? Because there's a pressing, there's a suffering, there's an anguish that is overcoming him. He is spiritually and beginning to come to terms and carry all the weight of his suffering that he's about to endure, uh, leading him to Calvary. It's there in that place of pressing. He's going through a process. But I want you to know that as he called out to God and he said, not my will be done, your will be done. As he called out to God in that way, God sent an answer to him. Verse 43, take a look at it. It says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. I want you to know something. When you go to the place of prayer in the midst of suffering, whatever it is that you go through, you see, you see that as Jesus did it, God was sending him something. He was sending him strength to endure the suffering that was ahead of him. When you go back to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, this is what's got me questioning and wondering about this. I've never seen it this way before. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions and fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard. How many of you know that we have a God who hears us when we call out to him? How many of you know that we have a God who answers us when we pray? Here's what I've realized. The answer isn't always what we want the answer to be. Jesus understood that. And what did he say? If there's any way, this is what I will. Let the cup pass from me. I feel it. I feel the weight of it. I feel the weight of everything. But not my will be done. Your will be done. When we pray in that way, God always answers. And we always should just want first and foremost his will to be accomplished. Amen. The Bible says he was heard. And what did God give him? It wasn't relief from the pressure. It was strength to stand in the midst of it. I want you to know something today. When you walk through a season of trial or difficulty, what your flesh cries out for is relief. What you desire to see is somehow this to be lifted, this to go away, my circumstance to change. But I want you to know oftentimes what God stands ready to do, if you rely on him in that season of pressing, is he'll give you supernatural strength to stand in the midst of it, to survive whatever it is that you're walking through, to experience the trial and come out victorious on the other side. Not my will, your will be done. We'll look at Isaiah chapter 53 and come on, come on up, Pastor Rick. Isaiah 53, I told you to go there and we're going to look in verse 10. It says this, think about everything we've just said. Think about the pressing, think about Jesus in that place of prayer. Think about the very words that he prayed and look what it says here in this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. This is what Jesus has done for you. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils of the strong because he has poured out his life unto death. And he was numbered among transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What did Jesus pray on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What was he doing? Making intercession for the very people that were causing his suffering. 
It's here we see this prophecy, this word from God come to life. Hebrews chapter five that we've sat in where it talks about his prayer, it goes on to say in the next verse that though he was a son, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. And once he was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him. Through this suffering, Jesus was making a way. He was making a way for you and for me. Jesus was doing something that no one had ever done before. He was doing something that no one in this life could ever imagine. He was rewriting history, church. He was doing something that is mind-boggling, that can't fully even be comprehended by people when they consider it. Because here's what we know. There are many religions in the world. There are many people that have put their faith in God. In fact, I will go as far as to say this. There are many people in this life who will suffer for their God and for their faith. But I want to ask you, can you find anyone else? Can you find any other faith? Can you find any other name? Can you find any other God who is willing to suffer for his people? Who's willing to go and actually submit himself to the point of death? We know many who will suffer for their God, but what God would suffer for us? What God would, we know many who would even die for their faith, but what God would die to bring us into new life. He's willing to take it all on himself. Jesus was making a way where there would be no way. He was paving a brand new trail. And what we see is the God of the universe, God with us, the author of life, humbled himself even to the point of death and death on a cross. And now he has a name above every single name but it wasn't before his suffering. He was making a way. And when someone goes ahead of us to make a way, it's so that you and I could walk in it. Here's what I know. That in the decades after Jesus died and rose from the dead, those that followed him closely, those that were counted among his disciples would be arrested, would be beaten, would be tortured. Some of them would be crucified. One of them said, I want worthy to be crucified like Jesus crucified me upside down because I'm not worthy to die the same way that Jesus did. And none of them ended up denying Jesus because they had seen him. But here's what I'd also realized. Jesus continually said this, I've given you an example that you could follow. What other God would suffer for us? Jesus was showing them the way. He was allowing them to take heart in the midst of anything they walked through. Here's what I know. There's nowhere that I could find myself in this life. There's nothing I could feel in the depths of pain and disappointment and loss that the God of the universe is not now acquainted with because of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. There's nowhere that I could go. I want you to know you have a God who made you and loved you and he was willing to enter into the deepest places of suffering to save you. And no matter what it is that you walk through, you have a God who is acquainted with your grief, acquainted with your pain, acquainted with your loss. I want you to know if you've lost a child, the God of the universe loved us so much that he gave up his very son. He felt those same emotions. He felt that same pain. He felt everything we felt, the Bible says. And yet he was without sin. He didn't deserve any of it. He chose to take it on for you and for me. So today, what can we do, church? How can we respond? How can we live differently? I believe the author of the book of Hebrews gives us the way. In Hebrews 12, verse two, here's what he says. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
Man, when you walk through that season, when you walk through that trial, when you walk through that suffering, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer. Let's take a look. We're going to read this slow. Come on, we're going to read this slow today. The pioneer. What does a pioneer do? He goes ahead. He paves a trail. He makes a way. The pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him. Are you kidding me? For the joy set before him, sweating like drops of blood. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was through the strength that he received as he went through the three pressings, the three times of prayer, the three times where Jesus was continually going before the Father. He wasn't there three times because he wanted God to change his mind. It's because God was strengthening him for what was ahead and preparing him to go to Calvary. And it said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Why? Because love drew him there, church. Because God's great love for you and for me brought him there. He went through it all and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And here it is, two words. Two words I believe that will change your heart, change your life, change your perspective. When you walk through anything in this life, consider him. Consider him, verse three. Consider him. When you walk through the valley, consider him. When you're in a season of suffering, consider him. When you walk through the challenge and the loss, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Man, I believe some have lost heart today. Man, you feel like your plight, you cannot understand it. You cannot wrap your heart around it. You cannot fathom how the God of the universe could allow you to see that. But I want you to know if he's allowed you to be there, he has strength for you in the midst of it. And he will lead you through it, not just to it, through it by the power of his grace. And I know that he's working something greater out as he's doing that. God has a way of doing that. He doesn't let anything get wasted. And we're going to talk more about him being our redeemer. A redeemer is someone that turns something bad for good. We'll talk about that next Sunday. Don't miss out on that but consider him. Just consider him today. Just consider him when you walk through that loss. Consider him in that season of suffering and trial. Consider him when you don't understand and you don't understand which way is up. Consider him. Jesus went before you. He is the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. And he's been there and he can give you the strength you need to lead you through there. One of the most gripping experiences we had in Israel is we went to Caiaphas's house. And Caiaphas, we, we read about in the Gospel of John, and he is the one that actually took Jesus into custody before he was ultimately crucified. And it's there that Jesus spent a night imprisoned in a, in a, in a dungeon or in a pit. We get to go into that place and you can actually walk down into that pit, into that dungeon, and there's a deep place. It's the deepest place in the entire compound. And you go down there and you can be where many believe Jesus would have spent that night. And we all packed in 35 of us into that small pit, this small area. And you feel so low and it seems so hopeless if you're a prisoner there. And it's there that we'd read passages of scripture like Psalm 22 or Psalm 88, where you hear about the suffering servant just enduring all of this, wondering where the Lord is. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's there on this side of the cross that I could realize Jesus became disacquainted with suffering, with brokenness, 
with everything that I could ever walk through that I can't find myself in a pit that's lower than the pit Jesus was willing to go to to save me. I can't find myself anywhere that Jesus himself is not acquainted with. And what that does is it strengthens me in my heart and in my soul to know no matter what it is that I walk through, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you're with me. He's with us. He's with us in everything that we could ever walk through. He has not left us. He will not forsake us. He doesn't leave us to go through it alone. He's been there and he is with us today. And I believe this. If you allow those seasons, instead of turning from God, you begin to turn to God. Instead of running to other things, you begin to run to God's presence, just like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then when suffering broke out, he he didn't turn from the Father, he turned into the Father. Because he knew that's the only place he could be strengthened. He received that strength. Here's what I believe, that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is now himself making intercession for you and for me. And I believe that when you're willing to turn to God in the midst of those seasons, Jesus himself is strengthening you, lifting up your hands and lifting your your countenance even before him, that as you're there, you will draw strength. You will find peace. Some of you will even find joy in the midst of the thing that was robbing you of your joy. When you're willing to surrender it to the Lord, where are you turning? He's with you, even in the pit. So would you stand to your feet with me today as we bring this home? I feel led this morning to encourage you today because there are some of you that you're in that place. You're in that place of questioning. You're in that place of suffering. You you know what I've done is, you know, what I'm walking through is nothing like what Jesus has gone through for me. I, I get that, but man, I'm not happy with what I'm walking through. Man, I've become bitter because of what I've been faced with. Man, I don't know where to go. Man, I'm, my mind has been clouded. Man, I find all my joy is gone. Whatever it is, I want to turn and encourage you, turn into God even today at this moment. We're going to spend time at these altars this morning, just responding to the word of the Lord, asking the Lord to strengthen those who just feel like they don't have strength right now. And so I want to encourage you that as I I wrap up this time together and as we prepare to respond, that if you need strength, the kind of strength I've been talking about today to endure what it is that you've been walking through, the suffering that you may have been faced with in this life, I believe the Lord has it for you today in his presence. But will you be willing to step out and turn towards him? And so what we're going to do is as we move forward, just If that's you, just come out of your seats and come down to this altar and just find a place to begin to pray. Come on, if that's you, just come. Don't let anything uh, hold you back. Don't let anything get into your head and stop you. Just press in right now. The Lord's here to meet with you. If you're in the balcony, we'll wait for you. Just come if that's you right now. If you're feeling that and you just need the Lord to revive your soul today, if you need him to give you new joy and new peace, you just come. But I'm talking to someone else today as well as they come. And I'm talking to the person who doesn't yet have a relationship with Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. And today's that day that the Lord of the universe has drawn you because he wants to reveal himself to you. You've just heard about a God who's willing to suffer and die for you because God so loved you. He sent his only son. Jesus went to the cross to forgive you of your sin and of your past and to give you a brand new life. It's the most amazing gift that anyone could ever receive. But I want you to know if you have not yet received that gift, your good works won't get you there. Nothing can get you to that place except you making a decision in your heart to turn to Jesus. And today, if you've never done that before, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And so right now, right where you're at, I want you to to make a decision in your heart that I want to say yes to Jesus. And if that's you, right where you're at, 
Don't worry about the person on your left or on your right. Lift your hand high above your head and wave at me. I want to know you're here because I want to pray for you. If you're saying today's the day, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, come on. Is there anyone else? If you're sitting out there, if you're standing right now, just lift your hand up. Praise God. That's you. I just need you to come. I can't see every person. I want to pray with you personally. Come right down and meet me at this altar as we pray. If that's you, from front to back, just come down. And I want to pray with you. And we're going to ask the Lord just to lead and guide your life. Amen. Amen. We're going to respond to the word of the Lord together today. We're going to continue to worship for just a few moments. I want you just to press in. I want you to intercede for those that are here at this altar. I want you to intercede for those that are giving their hearts to Jesus even now in this moment. In fact, that's how we're going to close out. We're just going to say a prayer of, of asking Jesus to come in and forgive us of our sins. So I want you to say this prayer from the bottom of your heart with me, especially if you're saying it for the first time. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins that has separated me from you. I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me. And today I put all my hope in you. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Church, can we celebrate with those that have made that decision?